Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Section that we're taking a look at here today with Vayelach and Nitzavim. Nitzavim and Vayelach covers Deuteronomy 29, starting verse 9, and goes through chapter 31, uh, verse 29, basically through the end of chapter 31. And we picked up a number of parallels here today, and today we're, we're looking at Isaiah 55 and first part of 56, and also uh, picked up Romans chapter 10, verse 17 verses in that as well. And also we picked up Isaiah 61 and uh, into the first part of 63. So one of the key things that we're looking at today is where we are. We're coming in for a landing here on the book of Deuteronomy and our Torah cycle that we're going through here today. So this is bringing to an end the what's called uh, Moshe's third ad address. And he's kind of has uh, three main addresses in the book of Deuteronomy. The first one of which is a big history lesson, the travel log. Where have we come? Where has Israel come from the time of the Exodus up to the time of entering the promised land? The second address was uh, covered Deuteronomy 4 through 28. And a big part of that that we spent was taking a look at an explanation of the Ten Commandments. And we saw that each one of the Ten Commandments was explained and elucidated through that and expounded upon. A lot of what, like what you see in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 called the Sermon on the Mount is also an expounding upon the law. Now, here in our section of chapters 29 and 30 covers the third address. It's the renewal of the covenant, renewal of this covenant that was there at Sinai with the first generation. So the first generation came out with the Exodus, you know, came through the Red Sea, all those things that you read about there, and came to the Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. And then that first that first generation, you read about that in the first address of Moshe, they were faced with going into the land, but didn't want to go into the land because they looked and they saw, hey, the people there, too tall, the walls too high, we can't do it. So they did not see who had delivered them out of Egypt, broke the back of a superpower of the time, crossed through the Red Sea, opened the Red Sea, and then also made it collapse upon the army that was coming after them, also sent by the superpower of the time. So the same one who broke the back of the superpower twice chasing them, they were still wondering, can you do it, Lord? Can you actually bring us in? Or as they phrased it a different way, when they were running out of water, are you with us or not? Is the Lord with us or not? So that was the covenant at Sinai 
that they broke. And you read about that in the uh, first telling of the what we call the New Covenant prophecy, which is found in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And that's quoted a lot in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, several times it quotes from that. And when it says in that passage in Jeremiah 31, my covenant, which they broke, this is what it's referring to, is that first generation did not want to go in, did not want to go into the land. And then actually, with the second generation that did go into the land, they were given a warning, which we saw part of that here today. They were given a warning, you're going to go in, but if you forget who it was who brought you and why it is that the Lord is bringing you into the land, if you forget all that, you're going to go off the rails. You're going to break the covenant. So all of that a part of breaking this deal, this arrangement, this marriage between the people of God and the king of heaven and earth. And so you see in here, the call in chapter 29 of Deuteronomy to renew the covenant, to return to the Lord after you go off the rails, come back, repent, turn around, and you are presented with, again, the decision, choose life. You've got the choice between life and death. Choose life. That's the better choice. You know, heaven, as you know, sometimes it's caricatured that heaven is just nothing about pushing the smite button on the people on the planet Earth. But no. Heaven wants you to choose life, wants you to choose the better path keeps wanting to guide you down that path. And to, today we see actually the how on you choose the better path, how to choose that better path. And that's, uh, you see that brought up in the cho choice between life and death there in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And so we see that um, you see the handoff between Moshe and Yoshua or as his name is shortened to, Yeshua, which is where you get Jesus from. Jesus is just a, <laughs> a uh, corruption of the Germanic way that you have Yeshua spelled. That comes over into Greek. So in Greek, it's Jesus, and then you, you probably recognize that from Spanish languages because they brought that thing in of Jesus. It's very similar into that but in in english we or i should say modern english we changed the j sound from its original y like sound over to a j sound to then like in my name jeff um it has now taken a j sound so but when you talk about yehoshua yeshua it's the same name so very important why it is the same name why you have the one that had the handoff between Moshe to Yehoshua or Yeshua, then you see the Messiah named Heaven said, you will name him Yeshua. Very important why, because that means God saves. God is the one who saves. 
All right, so that's where we are here in the Word. So now let's take a look at some of the high points because we've touched on this in years past. And you know, if you want to see all the various things, it's nuggets that you can mine out of these particular passages, you can see that at uh, halal.info slash p51-52. And that will take you, it's a shortcut to get to these particular lessons. But... In Nitzavim, the first passage that we go through, the nuggets from that is between life and death, choose a life. And when you look at what is really life-threatening in our lives, we think of all kinds of things that are really making our lives go downhill. Do we truly know what the reasons are for those? Or do we come up with all kinds of other things? You know, the devil made me do it. Or something else. Blame somebody else. Blame mama. Blame daddy. Blame this. Blame that. Blame the governor. Blame the president. Blame somebody else. Oh, is something else is the issue. Or, as this passage is looking at, you know, perhaps there is a problem inside that you need to assess first. And... As this passage is talking about the choice between life and death, are we prepared to, quote, circumcise, unquote, the living up to it desires that are really dragging us down into the grave? So when it's talking about circumcise your hearts, I mean, we even have a song for it uh, back in the, in the days of the crooners. You know, I left my heart in San Francisco. Well, really, the story of the Exodus is you should leave your heart in Egypt, that old way of life. That way of life that was dragging you down to the grave, leave that in the house of bondage. Leave that behind. You will get a new heart and a new spirit within you. That should be ringing some bells right now because that is what the new covenant is promising in Jeremiah 31 and repeated again and again through the Gospels and in the letter to the Hebrews there in the New Testament. So these are some things and some promises that are coming down for what the real change is. It's finding the source of the problem, finding what the real answer is for it. And then also some other nuggets we got here. The Torah isn't difficult if it's in your heart and in your mouth. We read about that in this particular passage. It's not up in heaven, not down below somewhere, but it is within your mouth and within your heart. And that is indeed what the new covenant prophecy is all about and what the true change comes in for our lives. And it's noted in there about, you know, the hidden things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed are revealed to the people. So one of the things that you can glean from this is that hidden sins will be revealed. And so we should live a life with nothing to hide. And if you roll back the tape and where we began our run through the Torah at the beginning of last Torah cycle in Genesis, back in the garden, one of the lessons that you get of that, you know, it may stream strange, the whole thing of, you know, they were naked and they were not ashamed, but then they realized they were naked and then they were ashamed. Well, what happened? And in modern parlance, what you could say, you have a you have a transparency issue. People say, well, you need to be transparent. You got to be real. You have to not have any masks on here. So thus, what is it that we have to hide? 
the first parents of humanity, they didn't have anything to hide. So when they met face-to-face with God there, there was nothing to hide. They had no, nothing between them, no dark corners of their lives that they had to kind of um, firewall off to keep it away from God's view. But after they decided, hey, I'm going to go find a new source of the knowledge of good and bad, good and evil, then they did have something to hide. Because the Lord said, hey, don't go that way. You're not going to really find the true source of knowledge of good and bad. Come to me. I will give that to you. But no, they decided. They were convinced, enticed, dragged away to go after a different source. So then they did have something to hide when they came face to face. You know, similar to what happens when you have a married couple and one of them decides to go off into a different relationship. So then when you're back together face-to-face again, one of you has something to hide from the other. You cannot be totally transparent with each other. So thus, that is one of the things that's revealed there in the Nitzavim passage. Now, if we go over to Vayelach, some of the key points that come out of that particular passage, which is basically chapter 31, is that it really human leaders will come and go. Moshe, Yehoshua, those human leaders will come and go. Some will be good, some will be bad. <laughs> Seems like in history, most will be bad, some will be good. But one way or another, it's you cannot really just depend on a person to really be that key source of all life and dependability. So what is going to be your rock from generation to generation that will carry you through, no matter if the leader is good or the leader is bad? Well, that rock is called the rock, the God of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth. That is the rock that goes from generation to generation. Or as the old hymn goes, which came from the word, you know, rock of ages. Yes, yeah, clef for me. And we may think clef for me, what on earth is that? Yes, and clef for me, think of what on earth is that all about? Well, in, you see that part in the Torah talking about cleave to the Lord. And that idea of cleaving to is bonding to, grabbing hold of and not letting go. That's what that you know, old-fashioned verb for cleaving means. So one of the things that we are to build our life on that is lasting, that has a foundation, build it on the rock of Israel, or are we going to build it on sand? And Messiah Yeshua told us about the wisdom of building your house on sand. And even around here, on times past, We've seen the wisdom of whether you're going to build your house on rock, which means sink your foundation all the way down to the bedrock, or if you have it just on the soil above and not go all down further. And we've had houses that have slid down the hills when the rains kick up and all of the soil that you thought was so firm turns to mud and just slides down the hill and your house goes with it. 
And one of the things that we hear in this passage is that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 8, comes back again. That we need to hear these words. Okay, hear it. They need to, it's just like we have the saying, not go in one ear and out the other ear, but they need to go in the ear and then become a part of your brain, become part of your heart that then operates you. So then hear it, do it, ponder it, guard it, protect it. You know, when you think about, yeah, don't let it go. When you think about like a precious memory that you have, what do you do? You ruminate over it. You keep reliving it. Why? Because it makes it stronger. I mean, we know whether it's a habit, whether it's a memory, the more you relive it or revisit it, the stronger it gets. So if you keep revisiting memories, you remember someone that has gone before us and we wait to see them again at the resurrection. So what do we do? We relive it. If they've you know, today we've got recordings, whether video or audio, you replay them to remember those things. If we just have our conversations, we remember the conversations, we remember those images. If we've got pictures of the people who have gone before us, we get the pictures out and we look at the pictures of them to remember them, to cement these things into our heads. That is why you might wonder, well, why do we keep reading the same passages over and over and over and over again? Well, would you say the same thing about pictures of your loved ones? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Why do we have to look at that same picture? There's mom on the wall again. Why do we have to keep looking at that picture? Uh, again, there, walk by it. Up oh, there she is again. No, we don't do that. If for our loved ones, we see these pictures, these reminders and we treasure them like these are hugely important things a part of our legacy a part of who we are is the people that have been around us so thus a reason why we continue to go over these things to guard them and you know that is part of also what we see in the creative world that you call it the if you parlance, you could say the second law of thermodynamics, which is just the, the increasing state of disorder, or just basically you've got heat moves towards cold, not the other way around. You may think, well, I stand in front of my refrigerator, so the cold is coming to me. Well, no, it's just that what happens in your refrigerator is all the heat has been pulled out of the box. So thus, it is colder inside the box than it is outside the box. But it isn't a cold maker. It is just the absence of heat. So kind of like if you were to go up into space, there's not any way for that to stay hot up there, except if you're like, uh, in direct view of the sun. Well, it can get very, very cold because it is the absence of heat. So thus also happens in the things of the world is that things tend toward disorganization i mean you look at your house if you don't keep tabs on things what happens you get dust you get dirt dirty floors you know if you don't ever do your dishes they what they magically do themselves no they pile up 
and up and up and up until you run out of dishes. Then you go out and you buy paper plates. Yeah. So they don't go away by themselves until you work towards getting rid of them. And it was interesting that there was a, uh, a um, biologist that was talking about this. And it's like very curious when you think about life. Always people are trying to come up with definitions of life. But life, if you really look at it, is just marvelous because it is stuff, machines of biological origin that work against death. They're always working to what? Be able to produce energy, get energy, convert energy, so that you work against disorder and destruction. Because one of the things that you see with some very potent potent poisons out there, such as cyanide, is one of the things that they do is they disrupt your little energy makers within your cells. And we need so much energy on an ongoing basis every single millisecond of the day that if you stop that for any moment, you're dead very, very, very quickly. So that's one of the things that the creator of heaven and earth has done is working against that which would bring us to destruction. So how much more than we as people who can think and contemplate things then guard and fight against the things that bring our own lives down into disorder and destruction. And one of the things that we also get from this particular passage of Vayelech is that when you get knocked down, you get up again. So then when you get back up again, what do you do? Do you just dive right down back again? No. You say, I don't want to fall down again. So you are seeking help from heaven. You are also guarding against falling down again. But we do fall down. But when we do fall down, we have an advocate before the Father. Hallelujah. <laughs> we have an advocate before the Father. Indeed. So, which brings us to kind of the passage that we're going to focus on from this particular section here today, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 14 through 21. And this will bring in some of the passages that we are also looking at today. And also, um, if you want to see some of what we've talked about, and since this is good timing because we're coming up to the, to the Feast of Trumpets, and the Feast of Trumpets really plays into, you might have seen in passing in the chapter 29, it mentioned wormwood. It'll be like wormwood. You know, what is wormwood? Well, wormwood is a, something that is bitter but also poisonous. So when you see it show up again in the book of Revelation, it's there for a reason, just like it is in this particular section. So we see here revealed in the Torah and in the writings that Wormwood is a spirit of division and destruction within the people of God. And you'll see that we've talked about this at, in a teaching called, you know, how the seven trumpets of Revelation are revealed through the Torah and the prophets. They're at halal.info slash trumpets dash 2020. So 
halal.info slash trumpets dash 2020 because there's a lot of details that we're not going to get into here today. But one of the things you see in the trumpets of Revelation, the third trumpet, one of the teachings that you can see in lessons from that is wormwood is an established symbol in the Torah. It is the idea that I am good with God even though I do not follow the Torah or worship him in the manner that he requires. So it's one of the lessons that comes through in the third trumpet of Revelation. Now, when we are looking at this particular passage, we see a very interesting back in chapter 29, verse 19, which says, It shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. So that's how the New American Standard uh, renders that particular passage. So what on earth is this destroy the watered with the dry part? Well, if you just look under the hood a little bit of what's going on with the original language, that word boast is from a form of the verb barach, which means to bless, and it's hit barach, which is what we, if you call it in linguistic geek geek speak, that means uh, it's reflexive, which means back to yourself, kind of like looking in the mirror. So, thus, a way you could translate this. Hit um, barach is he blesses himself, which is why the translators here in the New American Standard put boasting, blessing yourself. You're boasting. So instead of he hears the curse saying, don't do this, but instead he's like, I'm going to bless myself. And there are the word destroy from the verb safa strictly speaking, means to sweep away, to sweep away. So you might think, water, sweep away. Oh, that's interesting. Kind of sounds like the flood a little bit. And the word water there, or rawe, or rave, depending on how you pronounce the vav in that particular case, means watered or saturated. It's reached its full and it cannot take any more. And uh, that's from the verb rawa, which means to be saturated or to drink one's fill. Now, the dry word there is from same, and same means thirsty. So not just dry, but thirsty. You really want water. It's not just it's the lack of water, but you want water. So from all this, you get the question, well, who is this talking about? Who is the satiated and who is the thirsty in this particular passage? Like what we were looking at previously back at that passage. You know, he, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. So who then is the one who's satiated or watered and who is the one who is dry or thirsty. Now, there's really a split here in some ancient commentaries about this. In the Targum Onkelos, which is, uh, the Targums are Aramaic uh, paraphrases. They're like your, <laughs> they're, they're like your new 
international version or more like your um uh what was got the message bible it's like the message bible uh, in aramaic of the um original passages of the hebrew bible so in and you'll see in there that they uh not only include move it into aramaic which can have slightly different um words from hebrew a lot of the words are the same from hebrew to aramaic but there are different words in there but the targums also help you by bringing in interpretations into the text so um thus it can be interesting to see what people actually understood these passages to mean and also some other commentaries like Rashi and Rambam. So they took the water to mean someone who's deliberately sinning and the dry to mean someone who's an enticed sinner. So this water, water then is iniquity. So if you're full up with water, you are a someone who deliberately sins. You want, you're definitely flooding the, the evil into yourself and washing away the words of God. And dry person, you are someone who's enticed into it. You're thirsty. So you kind of want the, the words to be washed away, but you are not someone who purposely goes out to, um, to wash away the words of God and thus do whatever you want. Well, another commentator, ancient, ancient one, uh, Ibn Ezra, is, um, he cites a... A contemporary of his, um, Yehuda Halevi, which is another Spanish Jewish commentator, um, and he connects the watered to Moshe, and he draws on it from passages in Jeremiah chapter 17. So in Jeremiah 17, 8, he sees the passage there like a tree planted by waters, referring to righteous. Now, when we come up in the time of Sukkot, we always talk about willow trees as a symbol of types of people. Willows planted by water. They suck up the water like crazy. So willows are seen a symbol in scripture of people who are thirsty for God, thirsty for God's spirit, for God's living water. Bells should start going off in your brain right about now. And uh, you'll see the other comparison by Ibn Ezra and Yehuda Halevi about the dry, referring to a passage in Jeremiah 17, 6, like a bush in the desert. So thus, this person is dried out. There you have, all of what was good in them has been sucked out. Okay, so we've got these, these kind of split in ancient life about one side saying, whether you're water, you've got a, you're satiated with water, so or you're thirsty, you're just in, in a spectrum of iniquity. You're going from um, being enticed to sin to being a wholehearted sinner. To the other side of there, a tree planted like the water is someone who sucks up the words of God and thus blooms and a dry person is someone who lacks the words of god all right well who's right well let's go on a little bit further now one of the important lessons of sukkot and shemini etzeret so the feast of tabernacles and the celebration of the eighth day which is that quote bonus day <laughs> at the end of sukkot 
So one of those key teachings there is about living water. In fact, a part of the ceremony there on the greatest day, the great Hosanna, the Hosanna Rabbah on the seventh day of Sukkot is what they call the water pouring ceremony. It was a tradition that came in that intertestamental period between the time of the exiles and the return of the exiles and the time of the first century in the Gospels, where this tradition of the water pouring ceremony came in. And one of those key lessons from Sukkot and Shemeni Yetzirah is the outpouring of living water. The outpouring of living water and that being a great thing that is foretold to happen on the day of the Lord, that the water of heaven will be poured out. The Spirit of God will be poured out. You see in Ezekiel, the last several chapters of Ezekiel talks about that, that the waters will pour out from the dwelling place of God onto all the earth and all the places that are brackish water, stuff you can't drink, will become living water, things that give life, things that you can drink. So that being a great symbol of those places in the world where they have been made completely inhospitable to life or even dangerous to life. Because if you're out in the ocean, you just start gulping down salt water, you're not going to be around very long because it is um, counterproductive. Yes, deadly is another way to put that. So one of the things that you see that Yeshua draws on is he draws upon the water pouring ceremony. And there in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, he's drawing upon this ceremony. And it says there, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's quotations from Isaiah 44, 55, and 58. So those chapters talk about living water and the importance of living water for the reboot of the people of God. Because Isaiah was writing to people in exile saying, okay, you figured out, you've, you've heard from heaven and you figured out what the problem was. Now, when you return back to the land, when God brings you back and puts you into the land. Will you just repeat the same thing all over again? Or will you learn? And that's part of what we read today in, in Isaiah 61 through 63 about the road back to the place of God, the road back to the promised land. Remove all the boulders. Prepare that way in for those who are returning from the nations. So we see also, if we roll the tape back a little bit further, that Yeshua, uh, the third scripture in Isaiah is 58.11. Isaiah 58.11 is another reference to this of living water. So Yeshua had earlier had hinted about this font of, fountain of living water in his is conversation with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Talked about this as well. So 
Here, if you just remember a little bit, he's talking to the people of Samaria. Now, Samaria were people that were, they were called half-breeds because what happened when Assyria and Babylon had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel, they repopulated those areas when they dragged the people away, they brought other people in. Because one of the strategies of ancient emperors for <laughs> to stamp down nationalism was they would say, okay, well, you, you love your land, you love your country, well, we'll take you out of your land. So you will be now separated from your heritage. So thus you won't put up a fight anymore. You won't fight over your land because you won't be in it. So that was a part of a strategy. Well, now there was a bunch of people who had come in and during that time before the exiles returned, uh, they had intermarried with people who were there, and thus the Samarians came in. And ancient Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And that area thus became um, slightly different and looked down upon. The Samarians had a different Pentateuch or the uh, five books. They had slightly different versions of the Ten Commandments, and they also had a different temple there on Gerizim. And you see that brought forward in this conversation in John chapter four. So, bit of the context there. So here we're taking a look at John chapter four, verses thirteen and fourteen to start out with. So Yeshua answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So this was an answer to a question that she had, uh, he had first posed, Hey, give me something to drink. And, you know, she had responded, well, you know, where are you going to get your water from? Are you greater than our father, Yaakov, who dug this well? This is a very interesting comparison. So it goes on here further in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, talking about Gerizim. And you people say that in Yerushalayim is the place where men ought to worship. Yeshua said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Yerushalayim will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the father seeks to be his worshipers god is spirit and those who worship him must worship him must worship in spirit and truth so thus you see back to what is being talked about in the torah passages we saw today nitzavim and vayelach is the torah off somewhere where you can't get access to it no it's in your mouth and in your heart when you're speaking it, re retelling it, reading it, talking about it when you walk along the way, when you rise up, when you go to sleep, 
throughout your life. You guard it, you protect it, you reflect on it. Then goes into your heart, to your mind, through to your emotions, then becomes a part of you and what guides you and directs you. So thus, that is the key part then of having the new heart, which is then trained by the words and the spirit of God. No, transformed. So then, we see also that on the day of the Lord, the message to the congregation of Laodicea, or Laodicea, you know, pronounce it a different way, speaks of the need for spiritual senses to know when one is, quote, thirsty, unquote. And passage here is in Revelation chapter 14, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. To the angel in the assembly in Laodicea, write the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning and the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and, because, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. So that's, hmm, what was that? Yes, that's, that's what the offering is. is yes. Yeah, but the key thing is is to realize what your true state is, to don't fool yourself, as we saw in the passage there in Deuteronomy 29. Yeah, this, this, this life is temporary, and what God has is eternal. Amen. So we get back to our question about um, who is satiated and who is thirsty. Now, it's interesting also that uh, the ancient commentator Ibn Ezra and Yehuda Halevi saw a connection into this particular passage because it uses sa the same words to Abraham's negotiation with the Lord and uh, over Sodom, etc. And we see the passage there in Genesis 18.23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And that sweep away is translated from safa to sweep away so we see here a quite different approach there in deuteronomy 29 the person is blessing himself and saying hey you know i am not going to face anything are you going to destroy 
all of these people to get me? No, you're not going to do that. So what? Looking to save his own skin. Rather, you have the example of Avraham, who was pleading with the Lord, hey, there are some righteous people in there. Are you going to sweep them away for the sake of the wicked around them? So looking for the sake of other people there. So thus, when we take a look and we see the passage that we read in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17, we saw there. And it talks in there that Christ is the end of the law. And as we've been going through in our Roman study, we just went through this passage in chapter 10 of Romans, and we saw that the word there for end that is translated, telos, is the same root word that we have for words like telescope, telephone, telegraph, which we don't use anymore. <laughs> oh boy, I got to learn and not to uh, bring those up. <laughs> but yes, um, one of the things that we get is from the Greek that came down to also Latin prefix word. Tela means across a distance. So telos is used to communicate, hey, something that is helping you reach a goal or taking you to a goal. It was used in classical Greek literature back when they were talking about law and government. And when the Greek philosophers talked about and used that word telos, they were saying, what is the telos of your laws? What is the goal? Where is it taking you? Is it taking you off a cliff? Or is it taking you to something good? Is it taking you to your, to your good or to your bad? So thus, when you see the same word showing up there in Romans chapter 10, thus what you're seeing is the Mashiach is the telos of the law, where the law is taking you. So the law is taking you to the Messiah. And thus, when you're seeing in this passage in Romans chapter 10, you're seeing that this is one of the great lessons also of how you are moving from where we were in our house of bondage to the land of freedom. Messiah is the goal of that. And thus, when you see the new covenant promise, and he says to his closest students there, right before his crucifixion, he says, this is my blood, the new covenant that is spilled for you. So when we're saying new covenant is all about new heart, the words of God written upon our hearts, that we will know God, this goal and its destination in bringing us to God is through the Messiah. So thus, we see here at the ending part of where Moses is doing the handoff and the one to take them into the land. Thus, when you see, as we saw earlier in Deuteronomy, the foretelling 
And he was saying in Deuteronomy 18, hey, there is going to be a prophet who's coming. Listen to him. Why? Because he's going to be telling you words to say, hey, disregard everything of what Moses said, and that's obsolete. No. Everything you've heard before, I'm the one who's going to take you into the land, into the land of rest. Or as he said, in, recorded in the Gospels, come to me who all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, uh, yes, Rose, you have a comment or a question over there. It's not uh, every word that Christ spoke written in the Old Testament. He well, said, I come saying, with my Father's words. Yes, and that's, that's what you see, his prelude to the um, Sermon on the Mount, when he says there in Matthew five seventeen through 19, you know, say, he's making it quite clear. Do not think I am coming to abolish, or as the King James says, destroy the law and the prophets. I'm coming to plaru them. I'm coming to fill them up, to magnify them. So just like in the... <laughs> Baptism is talking about magnifying righteousness. So thus, that is what the Messiah is doing, is to magnify the kingdom of God. Not to say, oh, I'm going to edit and just delete two-thirds of uh, the words there and say that they're now obsolete. So that's where we'll end things here today. It'll set us up for when we talk about uh, Next week, further on into the Song of Moses, which will bring us to the end of Deuteronomy and to the end of the Torah cycle. Actually, next week is <laughs> Yom Teruah. So two weeks from now, we'll be closing out the book of Deuteronomy. So next week is we'll be celebrating Yom Teruah. So any last thoughts here before we close out? Uh, yes, Rose. Well, I'd just like to add that uh, the law of God has not been done away with. You know, Christ, Christ was pretty clear about that when he said, uh, you have heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. And he said that when a man looks upon a woman with lust in his eyes, he has committed adultery already. Yep. So uh, he magnified the law. He took, it from, he took it from the ground and brought it up to a spiritual level that the things that you do in the flesh should be thought of in, in a spiritual mind. You know, you, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't be uh, hurting your neighbor or, or coveting, or, you know, all the laws that, that are written in the, in the book of God. And he took it to a spiritual level. Don't look for the loophole is another way yeah, to put that. There's yes. No, there's no uh, yes. Sam, uh, go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, I just... Uh when I was uh, reading this in uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, so uh, it said the secret matter belongs to Yahweh, our Elohim, but what is revealed belongs to us and yes. to our children forever to do all the words of this to us. So I was thinking, does it, is it referring to sin or some, you know, kind of a revelation or something? Yes. The reason I said yes is because that's two ways you can look at that. And that's ways that they've been looked at anciently. Because when we saw in our previous Torah portion, they talked about uh, the uh, 
you could say like a number of buckets of sins, a whole lot of sins, curses, blessings. And, you know, you had like kind of like this renouncement of sins, of these various categories of sins, and they cover pretty much the Ten Commandments in various ways. So here you're seeing that you are revealing those things, revealing those things that have been within the people's hearts. But then also you are seeing that this is what the part of the prophets are, Moses and then Yehoshua is now taking this reign on to be the one who is then, you know, revealing the things that are coming along that need to be known to the people. So that's why those are two views that have been seen throughout time. Yes, it's revealing, hey, this is what the problems are within Israel. And then also um, in, in a parallel frame of that, revealing the things that people need to know. So that's where you get the instructions against divination, where you're saying, if the Lord hasn't told you, don't try to you know, break down the wall, climb over the wall, to go in to steal it, the knowledge yourself by hook or by crook or finding some uh, spirit that will give you the inside scoop. If it hasn't been revealed, you, know, you don't need to know. So, yes, Deborah. Um, so I would just like your opinion and elaborate when it's when Christ in, in John four said that, you know, when the way he said, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you'll worship um, the father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And then he says, yet a time has come and has come when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. And I would like to get your opinion and uh, elaborate what that means. I mean, you know, in spirit and truth to us today well one of those things that you see in the outpouring more strongly of the spirit of god there in acts chapter 2 is you see a a bigger outpouring into the nations of the spirit of god and you see that that's one of the things in the the final prayer that yeshua is having with his students and recorded there in the john 13 through 17 and you see where he's talking about this interplay between the messiah and the spirit of god and how they both come in there and it's a very similar sort of thing that you see between like moshe and yehoshua where one is coming one is going and you might mourn it mourn the loss of moshe but also you have Yehoshua and the Spirit of God is upon him to then take you on into the land. So those two are working together, Moshe and Yehoshua. They're for the handoff to take the people into the land. And so thus also you see that the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together also in the same way to have the people go into into the land of the kingdom of God. So it's something that is, you see that the spirit of God came upon people throughout the Hebrew scriptures. But, oh yes, every, every time when you've been called out of the house of bondage, your own house of bondage, and called into the kingdom, 
That is the outpouring of the Spirit. Because that's one of the things you see in Acts. It's like you see that these people who are coming in from the nations, and uh, that was one of the things that was being revealed, revealed to the Apostle Peter. It's like, hey, how did they come in? They came into the kingdom the same way we did. The Spirit of God called us into, and we responded. And we came in covered over by the... um, the blood of the Messiah. Yes, so you you get the, you get the call, and you know, do you respond? And the response, each one of us is given that kind of grace, the favor of heaven to respond to it. But do you go forward with it? Yeah. Uh, yes, Larry, go ahead, please. No, I was I've th- I've thought this many times actually, but. You go through the New Testament, and people pick out these one-liners or these one-verses, which they think means that that someone has uh, nullified the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, to bring in the New Covenant that supposedly Yeshua brought, right? But, you know, the bottom line, as far as I can see, is, is Matthew 5, 17 through 19. He said it right there, and you can't ever, ever, that's, that's at the bottom, you can't ever deny that. And he said that that Mosaic Covenant was never going to be until everything is finished, which means the whole, new, the world has to, the whole has to be, the, no, the new beginning of the new creation has to happen before that's nullified. So none of the other statements that anybody ever makes that said, well, you know, like Jesus said, and it even says in the scriptures, uh, with, a, with they were asking a thing about eating with unwashed hands, and he said, and, and at the end of all, they say, and thus he declared, declared all foods, all clean, foods yeah. clean. Well, mm-hmm. foods, when he was talking about foods, he must have been talking about clean foods because that's what food is to us. Yeah. The dirt, the unclean stuff is yeah. not food. Well, one, one, th- one thing just to, to note about that, kind of looking under the hood, is that um, <laughs> that's one of those cases where the King James Version actually is more helpful than other translations because it just literally and mechanically translates that purging all meats, which is about as literal as you can get to it because if you follow the whole train of thought into this, you're basically saying, you know, you're thinking that washing your hands is going to do something, but really your whole digestive tract is dealing with the, with the issue. So what is it that you're really doing with washing your hands? So, and to roll that even back further, the whole thing with the washing of the hands was a, an extrapolation that came from what the priests did when they would go into the, into the holy place before they would go into the holy place. You know, they would wash their hands and wash their feet before they would go in. So that was extrapolated out into the public. And there was a, there was a number of things that were extrapolated out. And these are, you could say, good things, but that's where the punchline of the Mark chapter 7 is, is that do not teach for doctrine the commandments of men. So these, these are traditions, and they're helpful. But don't say, thus saith the Lord, on your tradition. For example, you know, what we're meeting here today. 
There is no thus saith the Lord that says you have a meeting on Shabbat. That was a custom that came about because of the separation of the people from the temple of Jerusalem. So, because literally speaking, they would meet in the temple every single day. Well, once people moved away from the temple and farther and farther and farther out, you couldn't meet in the temple every day. So thus, what came to be known as the synagogue or the meeting place system came about for people that were farther off away. Then in the exiles, those became important. So then some of the things that were done in the temple, in the tabernacle by the priests came to be incorporated into a synagogue service and are part of church services today. You'll see them probably more elements of that in the more liturgical denominations, but a lot of those things are still in today. Then think about the altar. What do you think that is? What do you think about the bima where you, you bring out the Torah scroll, the ark? You know, you look at the whole layout of a synagogue, it is a lot like the tabernacle, and that's for good reason, is because it was a stand-in for people that were barred from going to the temple, either because they're way too far away, or they were barred from it by the government of the time period, where they just could not do that. Now, what do you say, is that a bad tradition? No. I mean, it's great that you come up with a system for systematically having people get together and what you do, what you focus on. But if you start saying, well, God says you must have this thing here. Well, no, God said nothing of the sort. It's a good tradition that you have something there or here or you do some sort of practice like this or that. But there is no thus saith the Lord about that. So Mark chapter 7 was in that particular perspective. And Mark chapter 7 is like a little subset of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Because that's what the Sermon on the Mount is really getting at. You have heard it said. Now, some of those things are spot on what the Torah actually said. Some of those things were way off of what the Torah actually said about those things. And he was coming in with the, okay, You've heard it said about this. Now, I'm going to tell you, hit the reset button, get you back to what the words actually said back there in the Torah. Now, what you heard or what they heard people said. Uh, yes, Sam, uh, go ahead, uh, Yeah, please. I just want to buttress on what Larry says about the, you know, the food because uh, with what people tend to forget was the culture back then. You know, kosher food, it's common. We're talking about the Jewish people now. So, you know, eating pork is not something that they, they, you know, it's a debate because it's off the menu. So when he's talking like that, you know, that he made the uh, food clean, which the translation that, you know, the, the church has uh, uphold all this year, he's talking to Jewish audience that you know there is no issue of uh non-kosher food yeah. so we tend to forget that when we look at this thing you know the translation because that's why it's important to look at the background look at the culture look at the people that are living in those days it's like somebody wants to tell the story of america and you know you talk about and then you make all the donuts acceptable <laughs> you know <laughs> well we love donuts 
But if you are talking that to people living in remote Africa that they never had donuts, so then they will interpret it to something else. So it is important for us even to see when we, you know, try to debate with these people, to just let them understand that these were not just uh, Gentiles, they were living, you know, kosherly mm -hmm. in those days. They eat kosher. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Yeah, so it's just, you know, something that whenever I had that, I just said, okay, look at the scripture. These are not Gentiles, they are not Greek. They were Jew. Yeah. So when Yeshua is talking, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes of, um, of those days, they were all Jew. So they understood where it's coming. It's not even a debate that, you know, is trying to just now making a pork clean or making, you know, uh shellfish acceptable to everybody not at all so yeah because yeah somebody about uh 200 years earlier tried to do the same thing and uh that's where the whole maccabean revolt came in uh yes uh rose and then Tammy. yeah i i wanted to speak about uh the sabbath the the, the only requirement for the sabbath is not to work on the sabbath we're to Correct. honor the yeah. sabbath but he did command mankind, uh, not so much the women, but he did command the men were to come up three times in a year to Correct, worship yeah. the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that was Passover, mm -hmm. Pentecost, and trumpets. I mean, uh, tabernacles. Correct. So he did command us to come up before him three times in a year. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, yes, um, Tammy. Yeah, I don't want to be... I don't you're on. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't want to be um, bringing down the tone of this uh, meeting too much, but as many of you know Don and Adrian. Don and Adrian Porton. Yes. Um, and I just got a text message from Don that Adrian's brother, um, I think it's Gerard. Gerard, yes. Um, has just gone to the Lord. Oh. So he is okay. asking, please pray, pray for his family. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, the true judge. Amen. Okay. Well, that's where we'll end things here today. Thank you so much for participating here. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you have a, a question or a comment? Sean and I, uh, he came over to our house last night, oh, and we had, yeah. I've been doing a lot of studying and everything, especially about with the uh, pork thing, because this is, I was raised, you know, with the Protestant Christian, and it's, it's totally okay with them for some reason, but I've been reading on it, and I'm like, it is not okay. Um, it's, you know, like in the Matthew, um, where Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law. There's some misinterpretation with the word, which is what, um, you know, with a, the misinterpretation of the word fulfill. So I heard that Jesus came to fulfill the law, and, uh, but that, that word means, you know, to make a reality, to, to show people the, the true, how, how it embody it, to really live it. So I'm like, okay, I was trying really hard to find, I've been researching the last, like, three nights for like hours, you know, trying to, trying to go back and forth to be like, can I eat pork? I love pork. I love uh, uh, shrimp, you know, <laughs> and it's, uh, it, but just everything in there just keeps reiterating it. And then, you know, I asked my mom and then she gives me a verse 
um, and then I read that verse last night, and I'm like, no, Mom, it's still not okay. The verse is, she says, when Jesus spoke with the Pharisees, um, so that, you know, the priests that they, um, they come and they said, oh, Jesus, you know, you're eating the bread with, uh, from prepared with unwashed hands. And he goes, well, so you're focusing on this, which is, it's a law, but it's still one of the, one of the lesser laws. And he says, even those who, uh, even the lesser law of the laws, you should, no man should say that you cannot command that, you know, it's okay to not do. Um, but he says, basically, you are hypocrites. And he's like, um, what enters into your body, you will, you know, it'll excrete from your body. But what enters into your heart is that's the true defilement. That's what he says. Now, yes, because it's in your heart. You know, the food being defiled. Yes, but, you know, you're going to survive. You know, he's like, you're, you're taking, you you're, you're choosing to... Sorry, uh, pulled this, this Pamela, instead did of... Did you hear about the shellfish? About the shellfish? There are people on the Atlantic coast who uh, are getting flesh-eating bacteria from eating shellfish. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, those, those happen on occasion. If you think about it, yeah, it's, well, it's like a, a, a health ordinance, you know, that the God was trying to tell us, it's like eat organic, you know, because uh, you want your body as a temple and you want your body to be as healthy as it possibly can be. So that's one of the things with pigs or, you know, eat everything and their stomachs are simple. So you're also eating like with the idea of organic and pesticides, if a pig eats something bad, they can't digest it, so potentially it's in the meat. Same thing with the shellfish, with the, uh, they're eating the bottom feeders, so if there's any contaminants, you are going to potentially eat that as well. So it's more of like for our health-wise, you know, that he mm -hmm. gives that commandment. It's just, um, it's just amazing, I'm just now finding out about this and... Yeah. But now I have to, now I have the, uh, the guilt if I will continue to do so. So I have to, you know, yeah. um, well, that's, adjust. Well, that's, Fear is upon you, brother. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that you see like in Acts chapter 15, because it talks about, you know, with those people that are coming in from the nations, there was like those four things that was just basically a keep the peace sort of thing. And at that point, those in the culture that was steeped in, um, in paganism, Though those four things were huge problems for those new believers coming in. But as you go down to like verse 21, it says, those four things are just a starting point because Moses is preached every Shabbat in the synagogue. Basically, let the Spirit of God work. Don't, because as the chapter started in verse 15, they're saying, you must be circumcised to be saved. And then the conversation goes on and says hey look you know you're putting burdens on people that not even our our ancestors could bear abraham that wasn't a requirement for abraham that he had to be circumcised to be saved paul goes on and on and on in one of his other letters talking about hey which was first his salvation or the circumcision and his choice of God and trusting him and that was credited to him as righteousness and that came first circumcision came later much much later yeah decades later having you start looking at that so that's one of those things that um apostle Paul and you'll see the others and Yeshua 
says, don't put things in the wrong order here. So that's one of the, the key important things. Uh, Larry, did you have a comment or a question over there? Remember is that when Messiah was talking, well, this is really... Yes, go ahead. Go when ahead. Messiah was talking, he was not talking about just this life. <laughs> and so, yeah, maybe, maybe we eat bad things and it can kill the body. But remember what he said, don't worry about what kills the body. Worry about what kills your right to future life, your soul. And so, therefore... We have to recognize that when he says, if he says it doesn't, hurt, it, what goes into your body doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt you. He's thinking about the eternity, not just for right now. Yes, indeed. Uh, Pat, you have a comment or a question. Yes, for two things. One about food. When it comes to things, basically, God said, "Don't eat any of the cleanup crew." And when you look at <laughs> the ones He says not to eat, they're all the cleanup crew, the cleanup really crew. garbagey things. And then the other thing is, when you worry about circumcision and baptism and all that stuff, remember the thief on the cross. He didn't get down off the cross to get baptized, and yet Jesus said, we'll be with me today in paradise. Yep. Amen. All right. Yes, Sean. Yeah, just real quick. The, one of the things about the greatest command the highest commandment about loving the lord your god with all of your heart mind soul and strength that meekness and humility that you should demonstrate it when it comes to these issues it's like don't be hard-hearted and stiff-necked about it humble yourself and really be a berean and search the scriptures god put this there for a reason you know, make sure you're understanding the history, the language, and the culture to really get the full context. You just might be running into a headlong wall, and yeah. It's almost like you're blessing yourself, saying, hey, in the stubbornness of your heart. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O, halal dot info.